the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher of the See You at the Game website, and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. Before we get to this month's mailbag, there is some breaking news with regards to the fall schedule for the Pac-12. It is being reported by John Wilner at the San Jose Mercury News that a 10-game conference schedule plan has been devised. The highlights, a 10-game regular season with each team playing its divisional opponents in five crossover games. The season openers will be scheduled for September 19th, which would have been the third week of the season, had it been a 12-week regular season. There will be at least two bye weeks built into the calendar so that there can be some time for rescheduled games. And the Pac-12 title game has three possible weekend dates, December 4th, the 11th or 12th, or the 18th or the 19th, depending on how the season plays out. What that means for the Pac-12 is that there is some belief that there is going to be a fall season. Uh, normally, the Pac-12 is accused of being behind other conferences when it comes to planning and being on top of things. It appears, at least on this issue, the Pac-12 is taking the lead. It certainly makes for an interesting possibility if the schedule can work out that way with 10 games, 10 conference games. Now, for the University of Colorado there are still some factors to be worked out. It is being reported that CU's 10th game will be against Oregon State. And that certainly makes sense. There were nine games on the calendar previously with only Cal and Oregon State off of the calendar for this cycle for the 2020 season. And since CU already has five home games and CU already has four road games, the natural assumption would be that the game against Oregon State would be played on the road. And since September 19th was originally scheduled to be the Texas A&M game on the road, logic would dictate that Colorado would play at Oregon State on September 19th. You now have your 10-game schedule, and all is well with the world. The problem is, is that Oregon State also has five home games and four road games. The reports right now are not indicating whether the CU-Oregon State game will be played in Corvallis or in Boulder, but whichever team would host it, if the rest of the schedule remains the same, that team would have six home games and only four road games, which uh, kind of defeats the purpose of having that 10th game so that everyone has a balanced schedule. So we'll have to see how this all plays out. There might be some more juggling with the schedule to come. It does make sense for Colorado to be playing Oregon State, but it doesn't necessarily make sense 
for Colorado to be playing on the road at Oregon State on September 19th. As to the Pac-12 taking the lead on non-conference games in a 10th game, there is some verbiage out there in Twitter land that our own athletic director, Rick George, has been instrumental in getting this accomplished. That's not a surprise to those of us who like Rick George and are big fans of Rick George. It wouldn't be a big surprise if down the road that we lose Rick George to the Pac-12 itself. If he became the Pac-12 commissioner, it would be a gain for the conference and certainly a loss for Colorado. Now, of course, if Rick George moved on to become the Pac-12 commissioner and associate athletic director Lance Carl became the new athletic director at Colorado, it might be a win-win for both the CU Athletic Department and the Pac-12. So we'll have to see how this all plays out. So for now, we are looking at the 10-game conference schedule with games to be announced and something for us to look forward to and talk about in the days to come. And with that, let's move on to the See You at the Game mailbag for the month of July 2020. Moving on to the mailbag, there are some very good questions this month that we received, and I appreciate all that. Again, if you have any questions you'd like to have answered in the mailbag, it's seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. First comes from Demis G. Looking to our future, giving our resources, the changing financial landscape of college football and the conference, what do you see as the ceiling for CU football? That is, which program, template, or model for what CU should be? In your earlier answer, and he's referring back, we actually did a CU at the Game mailbag several years ago. Of course, those were emails, not through the podcast. But he's referring to me, and uh, we got the similar question. I pointed out that Washington, the University of Washington off the field, and Wisconsin on the field would be the templates I would choose. Would you stick with these answers? Well, first of all, Demis, kudos for sending in a question and also remembering that we had a see what the game mailbag several years ago. On top of that, you not only remembered that, you remembered the question and my answer. So that is a true see with the gamer. Thank you very much, Demis. I guess I should defend my choices from several years ago. I chose the University of Washington off the field because I think that the Husky program has what CU is looking for in terms of how it's relating to its region. The Huskies, University of Washington, have to deal with the Seattle Seahawks, just like the Buffs have to deal with the Broncos. But they seem to have carved out their own niche and have their own following, which is much stronger than what the University of Colorado has in the state of Colorado. Uh, There's some transient populations in both states, so we can't just blame it on the fact that people weren't born and raised in Colorado there's a lot of people in Seattle that didn't weren't born and raised in Seattle that still root for the Huskies. Washington has its own little brother, Washington State, but you know it's been a top 25 program uh, nationally, just like Colorado has been a national 25 program in historic terms. They won a split national title in 1991, so you won a split national title in 1990. But I think University of Washington has a better brand in the Northwest than CU has in its in its region there's no reason why colorado shouldn't be the favorite team for people in wyoming for people in new mexico for western kansas even western nebraska colorado should be the flagship school not only for the state of colorado but for the region 
And I think Washington's done a very good job of doing that, despite being in the same town as the Seattle Seahawks. On the field, my answer was I'd like to emulate the University of Wisconsin. And where I'm going with that is, okay, let's just, you know, first thing you hear or first thing you think when you think of the University of Wisconsin, you think of a power rushing game. You know, a good defense, huge offensive lineman, power rushing game. I don't see why the University of Colorado can't be that of the Pac-12. If you look back to CU's glory days, you know, in the 1990s, yes, there were quarterbacks like Cordell Stewart and Coy Detmer, and they were throwing passes to Michael Westbrook and Charles Johnson and Ray Carruth. But these were also the seasons that we had Eric Bieniemy, Lamont Warren, and Rashawn Salam. If you look at the 2001 championship team, the Nebraska game, here's a good trivia quest if you want to really win a bar bet. Take people back to the Nebraska game in 2001 and say, okay, who was supposed to be the starting running back for the Nebraska game? You probably clean up by knowing that the answer is Cortland Johnson. Cortland Johnson was not only a starter the week before, the game before the Nebraska game against Iowa State, Cortland Johnson had 27 carries for 172 yards and six catches for 105 yards. He was the first CU player in history to have a double-double, 100 yards rushing and 100 yards receiving in the same game. That was the week before, the game before the Nebraska game. That's what Cortland Johnson did. But Johnson was dinged up, so the starting running back for the Nebraska game was Bobby Purify. He was in for the first series and had a 40-yard touchdown run on the first series against the Huskers. So Chris Brown, he owed the six touchdowns against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. He was actually the third string running back heading into the Nebraska game. It was the offensive line. Andre Girard, Victor Rogers, uh, Marwan Haig, uh, Justin Bates, Wayne Lucier. The big boys that were clearing out those holes for the Colorado running backs that made the 2001 team a championship team. CU needs an identity, and I think if the CU went towards the power rushing game and a style of defense, I think that would be a great way to do it. If you look at the University of Utah, they've actually gone that direction. They're kind of the Wisconsin of the Pac-12 right now. You know, Kyle Whittingham has power rushing games, solid, you know, solid defense. Quarterbacks are like Bobby Pesavento was for CU in 2001, just a game manager. They don't necessarily have, you know, NFL talent, but they are very good quarterbacks and they have a strong rushing game. And that's, I think, CU should try and head that direction and, one thing I was concerned about, about Mel Tucker leaving, and sorry to say the name Mel Tucker for those of you that are still having trouble dealing with that that particular loss, but I think he had CU pointed in the right direction, at least in terms of recruiting, and because he, he was building from the inside out. Um, very many fans were excited about Chris Kapilovic and what he was doing with the offensive line. Rich Rodrigue, we'll see how that's going to work out, but... I think if Colorado continue to build the lines and the last two classes have been doing that, I think CU can form its identity and be the Wisconsin of the Pac-12. Demis also asked, on a related note, is it completely naive to believe that there is a scenario in which CU could ever become an elite program again? No, not at all. I do not think it's naive to believe that CU can become an elite program I don't think you have to look again any further than the University of Utah. They were in a discussion for a playoff berth. 
all the way up until mid-November of last year. Paul Feinbaum, you know, he of the SEC is everything, ESPN commentator, was talking about how no one wanted Utah to be in the college football playoff. Well, if Utah can make it to the college football playoff, or at least be in the discussion for it, there's certainly no reason why the University of Colorado couldn't be doing the same. It's actually primed right now. USC has issues with Clay Helton. The UCLA is down, even though Chip Kelly's there. Hasn't produced anything. Kevin Sumlin might not last until next year at Arizona. Herm Edwards is doing good things at Arizona State. There's no denying it, but we'll see if that can be sustained. And Utah loses a lot uh, this year, and we'll see if they can keep their eight or nine win season going. But the Pac-12 South uh, is not an invincible conference. It's not the SEC West. There are openings there for Colorado to make inroads and just have to get the right recruits, get the right coaches, and get the right attitude. Moving on from Steve M., a.k.a. Cricky, given all the recruiting problems, quarterbacks have been a particular issue for the Buffs. I know stars don't tell the whole story, but according to 24-7, we have not landed a four-star quarterback since Craig Oaks in 2000. That's 20 years. I seem to remember that Bernard Jackson in 2003 was four stars too, but 24-7 listed him as three stars. Why wouldn't some four-star guy look at the CU roster and think he could be the starter on a Pac-12 team? Why has this been going on for different coaches, different offensive schemes, conferences, etc.? Well, Steve, I think you've hit on the question for the ages. The last Colorado draft pick in the NFL, Good number, another good trivia question for you to use at your uh, watering hole if you get to go to a bar anytime soon. Who was the last quarterback from the University of Colorado drafted into the NFL? You have to go back to 1997 in the seventh round when Coy Detmer was taken by the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, Coy did have a 10-year career, did fairly well as a backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, but uh, nothing since. People thought that Steven Montez might be drafted. That didn't work out. And, of course, with no starters returning and no players that have had any uh, snaps of any significance. It's going to be several more years at the least before CU has another quarterback drafted. Is it possible for CU to get a four-star quarterback? Is it possible to have a quarterback drafted from the University of Colorado? Certainly. But again, it gets me back to my Wisconsin argument that if you have a, a game manager like a Bobby Pesavento, um, you don't necessarily have to attract that star quarterback to be successful. If you have a strong rushing game, you have a strong running back field, you have good decent, good to decent wide receivers and a defense that will keep you in games, well, guess what? You can have a quarterback that isn't necessarily a pro prospect and still be successful. I think it's the other way around. See so us to be successful, and then you'll start getting those star quarterbacks as recruits. But I think we're a ways away several years from a four-star quarterback wanting to play for the University of Colorado and being successful and then being drafted into the NFL. The last question I got from Tom in Boulder. There are a few excellent recruiters on the staff, and I believe they will pay dividends in the future. This year doesn't seem to be going too well. Acknowledging that it's early, where do you see this year's recruiting class ending up? Just your gut response. Well, Tom, you're right. I mean, going just on pure numbers, the University of Colorado is not having an exceptional 
run with recruiting under Carl Durrell in year one. But we're going to have to take the class of 21 with several grains of salt. First of all, of course, it's a new coaching staff that didn't have the chance to do anything because they didn't even get in here until the end of February, early March. And of course, everything shut down as soon as they got here. But I think in terms of grading this year's class, the biggest issue is going to be the fact that it's going to be a small class. There are a grand total of 11 seniors on the roster right now. And yes, there will be attrition. There will be some juniors that graduate early, just decide not to play their senior year. There's going to be transfers. It's going to be a class probably in the 16 to 18 range. But when you look at recruiting grades and you're going up uh, against classes that are signing 25 to 27 players for their class of 2021, there's no physical way, the way the math is done, how they add up their points and determine recruiting rank. There's just no way that the University of Colorado is going to have a class that's going to be even in the top 50. But that doesn't mean it can't be a good class. The University of Colorado's had a pretty good July. It started off on the 4th of July, you know, picking up a four-star tight end, Eric Olson from Littleton. Not only is it good to get a four-star player, it's very good to get a four-star player from the state of Colorado. That will help with uh, in-state recruiting. Then we also got two defensive backs. Tyrin Taylor hails from Cornelius, North Carolina. And then Tyus Martin, a defensive tackle from Arkansas. Three stars, but he's the number one prospect out of the state of Arkansas. I think the concerns with the defensive back Taylor from North Carolina and the defensive tackle Martin from Arkansas is that if they do get to play their senior seasons and do have spectacular senior seasons that you are going to have them getting offers from SEC and ACC schools. The question for the Carl Durrell coaching staff is going to be not not that they could get them. Obviously, they got commitments from them, but they have to find and show that they have the ability to hang on to those recruits. The fourth is Trustin Oliver, who has an interesting story. I mean, he was actually a part of the CU recruiting class of 2019. He committed to Colorado, wasn't able to get in, went to the junior college route, redshirted a year, went to his second junior college, played or is supposed to play this fall, and then would transfer to CU with three years to play three. But the reality is, since he redshirted his first year and the 2020 season is in jeopardy, the junior colleges have already announced that they're going to play in the spring, if at all. Mr. Oliver, depending on how the NCAA deals with these things, could actually end up having four years to play four. Um, even though he was a recruit from originally from the recruiting class of 2019. So where do we see this recruiting class ending up? I think what we're dealing with is, are we going to get a quarterback? There's still some prospects out there. Some of the higher ranked prospects in terms of what CU is pursuing have chosen other schools. Will CU be able to pick up a quarterback in this class? And then I think you got to keep looking at the size. Again, I'm going with the, what Mel Tucker was doing, building from the inside out. Like, for example, Mr. Martin, Tyus Martin, the Arkansas recruit, is 6'4", 315 pounds. I think many CU fans got kind of tired of the Mike McIntyre bringing in the 260-pound lineman that they were going to build up once they got to Colorado. We need to have those 
large young men coming in from the beginning um, and obviously talent to, to go with their size. So I'm not going to be too concerned. Um, certainly on signing day when Colorado is 11th or 12th in the Pac-12 in the rankings and in the 60s or 70s nationally in the rankings, there's going to be a great deal of hand-wringing in the Buff Nation. But I think the Carl Durrell coaching staff is going to get a pass from most of the Buff Nation for the recruiting class of 2021, both in terms of all that's going on in the outside world and the fact that they are the newest recruiting staff put together under trying circumstances without the ability to even, you know, have any vis official visits to the school, anything like that, and obviously not being able to grade out some of the junior class because they didn't know they were going to be at the University of Colorado recruiting for players, you know, not until they got here in February and March of 2020. So let's give them a pass. Let's hope for the best. Let's get a couple of decent prospects, some large linemen, Certainly, safety, defensive back position needs some help. Um, and yeah, if we can get that quarterback to kind of round out the class, I think most fans are going to be happy with it. And we'll see how they do with the recruiting class of 2022. If world gets back to semi-normal and they are going to be able to recruit a full class for that class, the class of 2022 is going to be a large class, certainly 25, if not 28 members to it. I think most fans are going to see how the Dorrell coaching staff does with that class, and we'll start grading them accordingly after that. I think that's all the questions we have for this mailbag. Now, again, if there is breaking news and things to talk about in terms of scheduling in terms of who is going to play, when they're going to play, how they're going to do their games. I think we're going to come back and start looking at the roster and start looking at the depth chart and start planning, hopefully, for football in September. In the meantime, if you have any questions for the mailbag, it's seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you have any comments or concerns about the website or about the podcast, let me know. Again, it's just see you at the game at gmail.com. Go Buffs! Before I let you go, a heartfelt thank you for listening to this podcast. This is episode 9 of year 1 for the podcast, and I'm the first to admit that there is work to be done, both in terms of content as well as production. I'm still learning the production end of podcasts, and, well, as for content, I could have picked a better year to launch a podcast. I had visions of combining interviews, like the ones I did with Rick George and Sean Tufts, with other interviews, my annual talk with Lance Carl, to go with interviews of several former players I had hopes of lining up during the Buffs for Life golf tournament in June. There will also be, of course, plenty of football to talk about, with a promising year two of the Mel Tucker era coming on the heels of CU's best recruiting class in a decade. Oh well. I put off the July mailbag episode for the past couple of weeks, hoping for more clarity as to the upcoming season. The season, at least the hope-for season, is beginning to take shape, but, as the old saying goes, man plans, God laughs. Hopefully, there will be several episodes in August as we are witness to the opening of fall camp and preparations for the fall campaign. 
I hope you will continue to check in with See What the Game website on a regular basis for updates, as it is much easier to keep that means of communication with you current. For example, right after I recorded my discussion of the additions to CU's recruiting class in the month of July, another recruit, three-star defensive lineman Ryan Williams from Texas, committed to the Buffs. Williams, whose only other offer came from Texas Southern, can either be seen as a diamond in the rough or a reach. Again, thank you for listening and for being a part of the Buff Nation, as well as part of the See You at the Game family. Until next time, Go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.